An interesting verse here in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.23. And uh, in fact, I, I want the verse to be on the screen and I want us to read this together. We'll read it together aloud. And uh, so let's, let's read this together. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything but not everything is constructive. That's an interesting verse. (laughs) Paul says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial or constructive for me. And, uh, And I think there are a lot of things in our lives that are not necessarily wrong, they're not necessarily evil or sinful, but they're not also necessarily beneficial and constructive for us. And the greatest example that I can uh, think of that is technology. And with it, social media and uh, our phones and all of these things. And so this morning, I want us to think about how technology and social media and, uh, and, our, and our phones have changed our lives. It, many things for the good. But also, how do these things affect us spiritually? Because FYI, they do. These things uh, have a spiritual effect upon us. Uh, some of you who are tech geeks will, will know this name. Uh, Jaron Lanier was one of the architects for the Internet. And now that uh, several years have passed, uh, since all of this has just... Uh, exploded into our world and culture, he uh, is sounding warnings for us. In fact, he recognizes that the, the, the effect that it has upon our, upon our lives, and Jared Lanier says this, social media hates your soul. Now that, sound, that may sound like a radical, extreme statement. Uh, but given the source from who says this, I think it ought to, as, as Christians, it ought to give us pause to ask ourselves some difficult questions. Uh, does the influence that we have in our lives, because for many of us this has a tremendous influence, our phones and, and the internet and just the thing. The average person is on their phone four and a half hours a day. I, told, uh, I, told, I said that to one of my friends this week, and he said, I'm surprised it's not more. And, it, and it's not just that we're sitting looking at it for four and a half hours straight. It's five minutes here. It's two minutes there. And it's, and it's kind of like a constant drip. And it takes up every free moment in our day. And the... And the information that we are constantly filling our minds with, that's just with us all the time, it, does, it, it could have maybe a positive effect, but also a negative effect on our lives, especially our spiritual lives. You see, when these things are before us all the time, it begins to affect how we think about the world around us. It begins to affect the opinions we have on, on cultural issues. It, it begins to affect, especially when we're on social media, it begins to affect how we see ourselves. 
and how we, uh, and how we find our value and what is important to us. It affects our self-identity. Um, it affects uh, so many things around us that are at the heart of what we are talking about in this series on counterfeit gods. And so I want us to look at technology and social media, not to be pervasive and just saying it's all evil and it's all condemned and we should be super critical of it, but rather to be self-critical, to ask, us, ask ourselves some hard questions. It, is technology and social media pulling us closer to God or is it pulling us away from God? Are these things helping us to love Jesus more or to love the things that we're calling counterfeit gods more? Are they stirring up idols within our hearts? Or are they helping us exalt God to be the supreme love of our lives? And so, if you have your phone, pull it out and hold it high, all right? Pull it out and hold it high. If you've got your phone with you, what you have in your hand, if you've got a smartphone especially, what you have in your hand has more power in it than what NASA had the day they sent a man to the moon. I'll admit I use this thing all the time and I love it. This is my GPS, which Lord knows I need that. I am terrible at directions. Uh, before I had a smartphone, when I was in uh, college and seminary, I used to uh, paint people's houses. You would not know how many hours I lost, and it cost my boss a lot of money <laughs> driving around neighborhoods trying to figure out where in the heck I'm going. If I would have had this, I would have been much more efficient at my job. Uh, this is my GPS. This is my weather forecast. This is my appointment calendar. This has all the notes from my meetings. This has my to-do list, uh, you know, it, keeps track of my pace when I'm running. So many things on this. And I can text. I can check ball, ball game scores. And, and then I get my news feed. It's got my email. And uh, surprise, surprise, I can actually make phone calls on this. You know? We do so many things. Uh, because of this, we, we have... Uh, uh, it's, it's constant in our lives. I want to show you a couple pictures. See if you resonate with any of these things. Uh, give me the first one because I forget what order I put these in. The waiting room. Have you ever been in this situation? You're in the waiting room and everybody's got this thing six inches from their nose. And uh, next one, this is uh, going to work in the morning. Does that look familiar? If you ride the train in the morning, everybody's on their phone. Keep them coming here. We'll just go one at... Now, does the girl in the, uh, with the white cup... Have you ever been, you're like, hello, I'm out with my friends, but not really. They, I'm with them, but they're not with me. Their minds are somewhere else. And I can resonate with this. This is a family dinner. We've got tech, uh, tech-free dinners. Nobody is on their phone or their iPad or anything, but this is what di- uh, family dinner this one gets, a, I get a kick out of this. I've seen this, people walking down the street. I have seen people riding their bicycles on their phones. And I'm like, that one seems a little crazy to me. But, and, and I'll admit, I'm guilty of this. The TV's on, but I'm also, 
got something on YouTube or on my phone or whatever. If one screen isn't enough, two is bad and three is even worse. Okay, um, personal application time. I, you know what I used to do when I was going to bed? Read a psalm and pray. And now I find myself uh, looking at the news feed, uh, just scrolling through things. People that uh, wake up in the middle of the night, people used to, you know what they used to do when they woke up in the middle of the night? They'd pray. Now people uh, reach for their phone. And uh, we need to think about these things. How do you go to sleep at night? How do you wake up in the morning? FYI, if the first thing you do in the morning is check your email, it's not good for your soul. All right? And so we need to have some, uh, some thought around uh, these things together. And I am not on all of the social media accounts, and some of you are. And I'm not being critical, like these things can be used of the Lord. But for me, I know it would not do my heart good. And so I don't, have, I don't have a Facebook page, I don't have a Twitter account, I don't have Snapchat or any of these things, uh, and, and it's because I recognize that this can be harmful for us spiritually. Here's the big idea of today's sermon. Technology, social media, and our phones are good in their proper place, but they can also have tremendous power to pull us away from God and form counterfeit gods in our lives. In their proper place, they can, be, they can have a tremendous good, but, they, but if, we're not, if we don't have some, some uh, way of critiquing what's going on, they can have tremendous power to pull us away from God and to form counterfeit gods in our hearts. The Bible makes clear that you cannot love the things of the world and love God at the same time. And what I'm afraid is too often, more than what we would like to recognize, that these things cultivate a love for the world. And we see more and more people who are pushing God to the fringes or even just turning away from the Lord. And I wonder if this is part of what we are wrestling with. 1 John 2:15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So it says you cannot love the world and the things of this world and love God at the same time. And then it talks about what are the things of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now that list of three things jumps out at me because these are the type of things that social media promotes. So let, let's, let's think about this for a second. These are the temptations that come with the pull of social media. The first, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh, we might say, are the cravings for physical pleasure. I've got a friend here in the church, and I won't put him on the spot, but 
I know he deleted all of his social media because uh, he said it was just not good for him spiritually. He'd look and he'd see that so-and-so is out to eat tonight and so-and-so is on a trip and his friends are hanging out here and, and this person has got a new car and this person uh, got new living room furniture or whatever and all of a sudden he wants those things. It's the, it's the pull of physical pleasure and all of these things around us and, and, and he said it's not doing him any good spiritually and he, and he deleted all of that stuff. If social media is making you dissatisfied with your life, then it's hurting your soul and your relationship with God. It's forming counterfeit gods in your heart to exalt and value and love these other things. But God wants us to be satisfied, but He wants us to be satisfied in Him alone. And so Colossians 3.15 says, let the, pe- let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. You see, I, I think we need to look at our phones and, and our tech devices and say, is this making me more grat- uh, grateful? Is this uh, promoting the peace of Christ in my heart? First uh, temptation is the cravings for physical pleasure. The second temptation John calls the lust of the eyes. We might call desires for what we see. And we can see all kinds of things. Lust is, at its core, lust is, let me give us a definition, it's that desire to have what God does not want you to have. He's put boundaries in your life and said, this is outside of His will for us, and yet we desire it, we long for it. And so we can lust after all kinds of things. If it's not God's will for you to have that new toy or uh, that, I say toy, uh, that's not meant to be children's toy, but you know, the, the boat or the camper or whatever it is, uh, and yet it consumes our heart and we long for it. If, if, if it's outside of uh, God's will for you to have that promotion at work because it's going to hurt your family or whatever it is, but we can lust after so many things. But the way we normally think about lust is sexual lust. And I do want to talk on that for a moment. Because this here can have a huge impact in, our tempt- in resisting temptation towards sexual lust. When I was a kid, uh, if you wanted to get a hold of pornogra- pornography or something, you had to work at it a little bit. Now it's a Google search. And it's right there. And we need to talk about this because... Uh, lust of the eyes, this, this uh, idea, it, it has destroyed more than one person's relationship with the Lord. It can be so damaging to our soul that we need to wrestle with these things in, in a serious way. Uh, the, I might compare it to a uh, lawnmower that, you know, you got the, the pull cord that you got to yank that thing to get it started a few times. And that's kind of what uh, pornography is like. You get that image in your mind and you yank it and and pretty soon the engine starts running and it's and it's and it's going uh, and it's and the motor's going and it gets louder and you know you you go and you do your work. But here is what happens when we when we look at uh, lustful images and and videos and stuff. We we pull it and 
And it creates a a longing within our heart and the motor is running and it becomes very hard to shut that off. And it's not even in that moment that we hate God or hate our spouse or hate anyone else. It's that we forget about everything else. The noise is too loud in our heads. I'm reading a book right now uh, by someone and, and part of what he talks about is just sexual lust and he says it hijacks the man's brain. And there's scientific evidence just about what it does, the, the, the chemical release. But the point is, it takes a, a hold of us in that we, we forget God and we turn away from Him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way, at the moment of lust, God loses all reality. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but of forgetfulness of God. Paul talks about uh, sexual impurity in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, The Lord will punish all those who commit such, such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So, so when uh, we are not careful to resist temptation. It's calling us from the holy life that God called us to live. And, uh, and that ultimately is to our own detriment. It's, it's pulling us away from the, the peace and the joy that God wants us to have in our relationship with Him. And so we may need to get radical about these things. For the longest time, I did not have internet at my home, in my home office. And uh, I'll be honest, sometimes it was a pain in the neck because I, I had to go somewhere anytime I wanted to email. But it was, it was, uh, it was for the purpose of I just knew that I didn't want to give myself the, the cord t- to pull the lawnmower. I didn't want to give myself the ability to get the desire started. Now, now I do, and God's been gracious, and God's strengthened me uh, through the years. But the thing is, we may need to get radical. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, it is better to gouge it out and throw it away and to lose one member of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, I don't think that's literal. Otherwise, we'd have a lot of uh, people walking around with empty eye sockets. The point is, whatever it takes, And maybe that means that some of us go back to a flip phone and it wouldn't be the end of the world. And maybe it means that some of us get rid of uh, some some things in our lives that that are the pull cord that get us headed in a direction that we do not want to go down. But we have to get radical about these things because our spiritual lives, our relationship with the Lord hangs in the balance. And, uh, and we do not be, want to be pulled away from the Lord. We want all the things in our lives to pull us to the Lord. The third temptation John calls the pride of life. The pride of life is pride and achievement, knowledge and possessions. And uh, are not those the exact things that social media feeds into? nobody posts stuff online that makes them look really bad. In fact, someone told me that half of the pictures posted on Instagram are photoshopped. 
Everybody wants people to think that our lives are perfect. And we only put stuff on there that makes us look really good. It's the pride of life. And so the question is to ask, is this making me more prideful or more humble? Is it cultivating within my heart authenticity and vulnerability with those that I know and love? Is it helping me become more like Christ? Now again, I'm not saying that technology and social media are evil or that we should get rid of them. That ship has sailed. That boat is like the Titanic out on the ocean going as full steam ahead. And it's not turning around coming back to the port. Uh, But my point is, let's make sure that we're not running so fast that we hit an iceberg and it sinks us. Let's make sure that we are looking at our own lives and making sure that it is pulling us towards God and not away from God. James 4.4 says, You unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? There's a new TV show uh, out, and I think it's on Sunday nights. It's uh, called uh, God Friended Me. Has any, have, have any of you seen that show? I think it's just been one episode. Uh, Gene Harris, uh, okay, we got, was it good? Okay, well, yeah, we have, it's good. I haven't seen it. Uh, but uh, I, I might watch it tonight, actually, now that I mentioned it in the sermon. So in other words, I'm not promoting it. If you watch it and think, oh, that's a bunch of garbage, Pastor Corey's a nut, that may be true, but don't blame it on this. I haven't seen it. Uh, uh, but I do like the title. I like the idea of being friends with God. And Jesus said, I no longer call you servants but, uh, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. Isn't that a beautiful image? That we are friends with God. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that we just get to do whatever we want. In fact, if you're friends with someone, you desire to to build them up and to support them and to encourage them and to please them. And I think the same is true with our relationship with Jesus. When we're friends with God, we live with Him. And we talk to Him through prayer and we seek to work with Him in accomplishing His his mission. In fact, the verse just before the one I read is verse 14 in John 15. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. But that is a beautiful image. And so are you a friend of God or a friend of the world? And do you love and cherish your relationship with God or or your relationship with the things of this world? As a dad, I have noticed that my children, and let me just talk about Dawson. Dawson's nine years old, and so he loves to play games on the iPad. I have noticed that when he is not on his devices, he is a much more happy person. Because, and I've noticed that because we have to ground them sometimes. They say, no iPad this week. Those are the weeks that are the most pleasant to be around him. He's less irritable. He's nicer to his sister. Uh, he, he just has a better demeanor about him. And uh, so Dawson and I have talked about this. But I want you to examine your own life. Uh, has, how has technology affected you? Has it made you less anxious? Or has it given you more peace? Are you... More selfish or more selfless? Are you more loving towards others or are you more just kind of have a self-love? Are you more satisfied and content or more discontent and longing? Are your, 
Are your views and, and your thoughts more influenced by the culture around you or by, the, or by God and His Word? If people are on this four and a half hours, I guarantee you nobody is on this four, in their Bibles four and a half hours a day. Raise your hand if you, are on the, if you read your Bible four and a half hours a day. That's what I thought. I don't either. So we better think about what's entering into our minds. Romans 12 talks about this. Therefore, uh, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, we, these things in our lives, we sacrifice, even if it's difficult. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So two contrasting ideas. The conformity to the pattern of this world and transformation by the renewing of our mind. And how, how are we being... How, how does everything in our lives, our values what we find important, how we see ourselves, how we spend our money, how we spend our free time. Is it, is it, is it look just like the world? Conformity to the world? Or are, are all those things being transformed by the renewing of our minds? And so let's talk about, I'm going to have to be brief here, but three applications for renewing our minds in light of technology. Number one, be intentional about what you think about during certain times. In other words, I think there's strategic times in our day. What you do with your free time. What, what, how are, what are you going to... If you've got five minutes free, you need to uh, think carefully about how you're going to use that, those five minutes. Now, most of the time we just pull out our phones and I don't know, we, whatever we do on it, but... What if we pulled out our phones and uh, we had a plan? We're going to memorize Scripture or we got a devotional app or we're going to listen to worship music or, or Christian podcasts. I mean, this can be a tool for good, but my point is, and, and it might just be to say, I'm not going to use that during my free time. But if we've got a few minutes, we've got to be intentional and think about that. How are we going to go to bed at night and wake up in the morning? Uh, you know, like I said, I've had to think about this and be intentional. How are we going to do those things? And to form habits in our lives, a strategy, so that we are, that we are uh, in those moments of the day, that we are turning to God and not away from God. To, to constantly be coming back to God. And uh, I think part of what this definitely includes is time in God's Word. If we are on our phones every day, we should be in our Bibles every day. We have to counter the, the things that we are reading about with the truth of God's Word. And so to schedule that in, uh, to be strategic about these certain times of day. Second application... Be fully present in what you are doing. Be fully pre- kind of like that woman with the white cup. That uh, you know, to actually be present with those who you are with. Uh, we have tech-free dinners. No, no. When we no di- no phones, no iPads at the dinner table, uh, so that we can be fully present with one another. And uh, 
Technology has made it so that we are constantly multitasking. You know, you listen to something while you're driving or while you're riding the train to work. You, uh, you, you're watching a YouTube video while you take care of your kids. We're, uh, you're checking email while you're in an office meeting or, or, you're, or you're in class. And so we're constantly doing two things at once. There's a problem with that because, A, we not, we're not very efficient. We're actually not very good at when we're, uh, what we're doing when we're doing two things at once. But there's consequences to our souls as well. And so here's my challenge to be fully present in, in whatever we are doing. Maybe we need to develop the spiritual discipline, not multitasking, but monotasking. And so when you are watching your kids, what you're going to do is actually watch your kids. And, uh, and when you drive to work, what you're going to do is drive to work. And when, and when you're waiting for something, waiting in the doctor's office, what you're going to do is you're going to wait. And there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, some of you may think, if I do that, I will, be, I will lose so much time in my day. It's dead. It, that's a waste of time. You know what? Uh, I think that we have lost so many things in our lives by just beginning to live constantly multitasking. We've lost the ability to be creative. Kids today are not as creative as they were when they didn't have all of these devices before them. Teachers tell me that students do not have the ability to think deeply about stuff because we're so used to scrolling so fast and reading so quickly. We've lost our ability to be as empathetic to those around us because our minds are somewhere else half the time. We've lost the, the, the ability to, to let our souls rest. You know, so many people I talk to today, and, and myself included at times, are just emotionally drained. And that's part of it is because I just don't think we give ourselves... Candy Crush does not revive your soul. And, uh, and neither does the news feed or, or whatever it is. That's what we turn to a lot of times when we're tired. And I wonder is, uh, what would happen if we just we develop patterns where we turn to the Lord. Now that's harder because we've been conditioned now for a long time to be impatient. And sitting before the Lord takes patience and it seems like a waste of time. But these things that, I, that I've mentioned are fundamental to our relationship with God. These things like creativity and gratitude, I think when, we're, when we just have free time and, and we're intentional about these things, we're more grateful, we have peace within our hearts, we have empathy towards others, we have, we have the ability to think deep. These are like, these are like foundational things for uh, growing deep in our relationship for the, with the Lord, to have spiritual maturity. And so... One, be intentional about what you think about during certain times. Two, be fully present in what you're doing. Last application, be alone with God. That's another thing I, that it's not easy to do. We live in fast-paced We all live fast-paced lives. But Jesus regularly got alone with God. In fact, if you read the Gospels, He is regularly getting away to be with the Father. And that's the reason, I think, 
he didn't have the same sort of emotional drain that we have. He had the ability to love others well and to empathize with them. He had the ability to resist temptation because he regularly got alone with God. And so here's here's a real easy one. What if you did one hour a day, one day a month, one week a year, where you, where you fasted from technology. No devices, no tech. And uh, an, uh, an hour a day, a day a month, a, a week a year. And I, and I think just for, for the sake of being alone with God. One of these times that Jesus uh, got away with his father was on the night that he was betrayed. They had the Lord's Supper, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a, in a moment. And then the Bible says, as was his usual custom... Uh, he drew away to a quiet place and his disciples came with him. And, uh, and it says that his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, were just at a short distance away. In fact, short enough that they could probably hear his prayers and short enough that if Jesus glanced over there, he could see what uh, they were doing. But that night in the garden, he was in deep anguish and, and we're told that he even prayed to the Father, God, if there's any way possible, take this cup from me. And he knelt there in, in prayer and he was praying for the Lord's uh, strength to be able to resist any temptation that he would face. And, and he was alone with God and, and God strengthened him. And, and he'd wake up and he'd see James, John, and Peter and, he'd, and they were asleep and he'd say, Get up! Get up! Pray that you would not fall into temptation. He was urging them and he'd go back and he'd pray. And, and the Bible says that his uh, sweat became like drops of blood coming down his face as he prayed for the Lord's strength. And he prayed, and yet not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. And, and again, the disciples are asleep. Get up, wake up that you might not pray that you might not fall into temptation. And the Lord continued to wrestle with, uh, to continue to, to commune and wrestle with his father in prayer. And, and a third time he sees them and he, and he comes and he says, get up, wake up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. And I wonder if Jesus was here with us this morning, if he might say something similar. Wake up, get up. Turn your phones off and pray that you might not fall into temptation. The temptations around us are so pervasive and constant and and hard and we need to be able to pull away from the Father. But after he is praying, uh, pretty soon the betrayer comes and one of his own, Judas, kisses him on 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 the mouth and to as a signal to the mob behind him that this was the person. The Roman soldiers arrested Jesus and he was taken to be tried and to, and to be crucified. And what we have here at the Lord's Supper, this tiny uh, little wafer and this small cup of juice are reminders of the of the huge sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And I just want to remind us, and I hope that this truth has sunk into all of our hearts, but I just want to remind us uh, again that, 
that this life that Jesus offers us through the forgiveness of sins and through a relationship with him is the best life possible. Now, I recognize that there are so many other things, messages that we're constantly receiving that say, no, that's not the best life possible. Life and value and importance is found in all of these other things. But no, it is found in Jesus. And so I want us to prepare our hearts this morning to receive the communion elements and to, to pray to thank God for what He has done for us and to pray that He would help us. And it might be to help us take some radical steps in our lives to get rid of some things so that we might be able to live the holy lives that God has called us to live. Thank God for His salvation. Thank Him for the strength that He gives us through the Holy Spirit. And thank God for the sacrifice that was made on Uh, through Jesus, his son, uh, and his death on the cross. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you love us so much. And uh, there are things in our lives that, tech and other things, that, that, um, that they have the potential to pull us away from you. But God, right now, just in the quietness of this sanctuary, We want to draw close to you and we want to feel your presence. We want to once again commit our lives to you and recognize how much you love us and what what we hold in our hands, this bread and this juice. They're, They're reminders of how much you love us. So God, pull us close to you. Work in our hearts. Help help us to be filled with peace and gratitude and help us again to turn our lives over to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.